This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Rick Fegley. I'm Chief Financial Officer of Smart and Final Link, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 343. Cash flow is, you know, the lifeblood of any business. Just looking at cash flow is is not necessarily a meaningful metric. So we we track very closely our, our DSL. When I first came came on board in uh, about uh, in, in 2012, you know, we looked at our, our DSL. Our DSL was up about you know 67 days at the time. Uh, and, and DSO is not just a, it's not just a finance only organization that can influence that metric, right? So sales, legal, credit, invoicing, all of those disciplines can have an impact on uh, on DSO. You know, reducing DSO is relatively straightforward, but it's a very good and effective way of uh, of uh, strengthening cash flow. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Paul Jalbert, CFO of Progress Software. A good portion of Paul's career was spent as a chief accounting officer for a large enterprise telecom company. What led Paul to become CFO of a $1 billion software company? We pose that question to Paul more than once after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-sized organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking to Paul Jalbert. The CFO of Progress, an enterprise software company based in Bedford, Mass. Paul, welcome. Hi, Jack. Uh, Nice to be with you. So, Paul, like we always do, we like to take a look back in time and ask our uh, CFO guests to tell us a little bit about how they prepared for a CFO role. I always like to suggest three milestones or three career experiences anyway that might help illustrate that for us what would you share with us sure so uh i've been uh, so jack i've been at local progress now for just about uh, a little over five years i came in uh as a chief accounting officer prior to joining progress i've been a chief accounting officer at uh, 
three three different companies, two public companies, about a billion dollars in uh, in market cap, and one private company. Uh, I would say that uh, if I was to look at it, what really prepared me to become CFO was uh, if I look back at my first PAL job. Uh, I came out of planning, and uh, I assumed the CAO role back in early 2000s uh, for a public company with about a billion dollars and over a billion dollars in revenue. It was a pretty big role for a first CAO role, uh, you know, responsible for all accounting, financial reporting, external reporting, and, and internal reporting. But that role I also had, because of my background previously, I also had responsibility for consolidated planning, budgets, and analysis. So not always your typical CAO type of organization, right? And prior to that, I was uh, a VP of budgets and planning for a large telecom company where I really spent the majority of my time and uh, spent a lot of time inside the company in various uh, financial roles. But also, you know, the company provided great opportunities for advancement, but with that advancement came uh, travel. So in the stint of about 17 years, I did. Uh, I lived in five different states, really ac across the country. And uh, so I would say, you know, that I had very broad experience, different experiences in both the planning role as well as, uh, you know, chief accounting role. But, you know, when I came here at Progress, uh, it was, again, for, for uh, a chief chief accounting uh, position, but I think uh, you know, when Yogesh, the CEO, came on board earlier this year, he was looking for someone to uh, to partner, and uh, we got it off pretty well, and that's, uh, that's, that's when I became uh, CFO of Progress. We'd be interested in learning something more uh, about your CEO. I know many of the uh, CEOs uh, play a role in private equity, and when they find the right opportunity, they like to... Uh, to uh, come on board and open a new chapter of growth for a particular firm? Yeah, so Yogesh uh, actually had a very long What's his first name? I'm sorry, what's his full name? I'm sorry, uh, Yogesh Gupta, who's the, the CEO for, uh, for Progress. Uh, he's been here, oh, roughly uh, just a little over a year. So his one-year anniversary has just come up. He was at a couple of private, he was CEO for a couple of private uh, companies prior to coming here, uh, uh, and then prior to that had spent quite a bit of time with uh, Computer Associates. So he wasn't really in private equity, but he was uh, you know, familiar with the company because his dealings with uh, progress in the past with Computer Associates, he was familiar with the company since they did buy uh, some of our products. So uh, you know, there was a, a, an opening for him. He obviously... You know, now with the with the board, he thought that this was a great opportunity uh, for him to uh, build upon some of the success of progress of that. Also, you piqued our interest. Uh, you mentioned uh, you were with a telecommunications company. Can we ask which one? Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, no, the telecom company is now Verizon. Uh, at the time, it was GTE. Uh, it changed from GTE to Verizon when the Bell Atlantic and GTE merger occurred in early 2000. So, and I spent so I spent the bulk of my time uh, spent a little bit of time in public accounting about three years or so, and then joined up with GTE, and then uh, had a 
fairly long-running career with the company in various uh, various type roles. Uh, but you were in the area of planning, financial planning at the time, FP&A, or what, how would you characterize well, it? Yeah, when I left, so I was in FP&A uh, the last couple of years in, uh, at GTE. And then, uh, as I mentioned, when we merged with Bell Atlantic, there was a condition of the merger that they needed to spin off a few businesses. And uh, I became the uh, chief accounting officer for the business that was spun off from the parent company. And that's where we went public with them in, in 2000 during the dot-com uh, phase. So I was, I, was in, I was in planning. I was in planning and then uh, became the uh, controller, chief accounting officer for uh, the newly created entity. But prior to my planning role, I had had some internal audit uh, positions as well as uh, financial analysis uh, accounting roles. So uh, pretty much touched on all the disciplines of, of finance with the exception of uh, investor relations at the time, investor relations treasury. Did you say you moved five times uh, before? I did. <laughs> Why? Now that's a, you know for a lot of finance professionals, if you're in one firm, one of the perks is maybe you don't have to move five times. What was um, what was the impetus? Well, GT, sure. So GT was you know global company, very large presence, national footprint. Uh, this is before they had consolidated a lot of uh, back office. So each of the entities, or you know each of the regions had their own uh, entities that were you know back office functions in each of those regions. So I spent time in uh, Tampa, Florida, uh, in an accounting position. I was out in California for uh, just about three years, and that was an internal audit position where we um, did internal audits of all the GT locations on the western seaboard as well as in the Far East. So, I, you know, I did some international travel as well and then uh, came back to uh, the East Coast to uh, Connecticut, Stanford, which was the headquarters for the company. And then uh, we announced that we would be moving our uh, headquarters from Stanford, Connecticut to uh, Dallas, Texas, and uh, spent a couple of years down there. So kind of covered all the corners of uh, all the corners of the country at in different type roles, different experiences. What I find interesting here is that uh, your two worlds, sort of, uh, GTE as a chief accounting officer, and here you are in uh, sort of a, a dynamic, high-tech environment. Very often these worlds don't meet, really, and you wouldn't find uh, executives' uh, career paths going the way yours has. Am I correct, or do you look at things differently? Okay, so no, that's a Jack. That's a good question, right? So you think of GTE, multi-billion-dollar company at the time, and how do you go from, you know, a company that's generating, let's say, thirty billion dollars in revenue to something that's four hundred million dollars in revenue, right? So once once I had uh, moved back to New England, I was looking for something different. The next move for me would have been in New York. So my wife and I made a personal decision that. Uh, you know, my career with uh, the company would no longer uh, uh, progress and that we would stay in New England, right? So that was kind of a personal decision that my wife and I made for the family that once we got back east, 
you know, we weren't going to pick up again and and, uh, and move somewhere else. So then that that uh, created some opportunities for me to look into, you know, smaller uh, small cap companies, mid mid cap companies, right? So had a couple of stops before coming over to Progress between uh, GTE and Progress, which were you know, about the size of what uh, uh, Progress is today. So it was kind of a natural transition. You're right to transition from, you know, multi-billion-dollar company into, you know, a $400 million company is kind of odd. But I did have uh, make a transition from that to smaller companies. Uh, both of those companies were sold, uh, and uh, you know, I ended up ended up here at Progress. It's interesting because it's all about it's all about relationships. And I'm the CFO here at the time. Uh, I had worked with previously, and uh, she had a need uh, for someone with with my skill, and uh, I got a phone call, and that's how I ended up here. How do you build that network into? A, and and I would imagine it's around the Boston area where there is a, a lot of high tech uh, finance uh, professionals. Uh, network at FDI. Did you uh, join? Um, uh, you know, ACG's growth uh, roundtables or something. Was there anything more to it? No, I think it's just, you know, personal relationships that uh, you know, I've developed over time. Uh, as I said, you know, it's all about, you know, individuals that you know and, uh, you know, referrals that uh, those folks are, are willing to, to make for you. So just, uh, you know, to, to talk about, you know, the transition from a large multi-billion dollar company to, you know, a $200 million company, right? Uh, again, I think the, the hardest part is getting that first role, which is you know, probably the same for, uh, you know, getting a CFO role, right? So once you've proven that you can scale up or down, you know, whether it's a billion dollar company or, you know, a couple hundred million dollar company, you can prove that you can scale down, be uh, a little bit more involved in, in the details, willing to roll up your sleeves and, uh, and and get involved in things that you probably would not be involved in uh, in, a, in a multi-billion dollar company, I think then that, that's when you start building a track record that one, okay, you've got you know some of the rigor and the discipline that large companies offer you, uh, but you can also scale down and uh, be more hands-on in a smaller company and still bring to that role uh, that rigor and discipline that large companies need to have. So, Paul, we want to find out about Progress Software and uh, its uh, sort of its competitive footing today in the marketplace. What, what, are, what are its offerings about, and what would you, how would you describe its competitive edge? Sure, sure. So, uh uh, Progress is, as I said, it's a, it's a software company. We do about $400 million in, in revenues. Uh, we have three reportable segments, but they're all focused on a similar audience, right? So we sell software tools and platforms to software developers. So if you're looking to build uh, a payroll application, right, we provide you with the tools to build that payroll application. So um, we are a leader in uh, application development and 
in deployment. So as, as I said, we've been we've been around in the Boston area for about uh, uh, 30 years. And for a company of this size, right, we're about $400 million in revenue, uh, but we have a global presence. About 43% of our revenue comes from international locations. So we have uh, a largest presence internationally is, is, is over in EMEA. And we serve, you know, many different company types and, and organizations. And we sell really into two different channels, right? So we sell directly to enterprises, so like a, a J.P. Morgan or Quicken, right? So they build their Mortgage Express applications or their Quicken Loans. Rocket is actually built on uh, progress technologies, right? So they develop their application that they use internally. So we sell to enterprises, and we have more than 100,000 enterprises globally in pretty much in every major industry category, such as the financials like J.P. Morgan that I just spoke to and Quicken, but also manufacturing and retail. Uh, so they, they use our solutions, right, to build their applications. The other channel that we sell to is what we call independent uh, software vendors or ISVs. Those are companies that are actually software companies. So that's probably our largest vertical that we serve. So we are, we are the largest software company that sells to software companies. So those ISVs are building uh, applications on our, on our tools, on our solutions, and then selling them to their end users. And that can either be in the form of you know, software that sits on their premise or software that sits in the cloud. And the way that our model works is we get a revenue share. So for the direct enterprise customers, you know, that's just a straight-up sale. But when we sell to our ISVs, uh, we are on a revenue share model. So for every sale that they make, that they're using our software in their solution, we get a portion of the revenue that they collect from their end users. And that's, that's about 60% 60 of the business, right? So our success is greatly dependent on how successful those ISVs are. We speak to a lot of uh, SaaS software developers. Is SaaS part of this model or no? Uh, it's not part of our model, but for the ISVs, uh, the independent software vendors, right? So they've, they've actually, over the years, as a result of some of the investments that we've made in the product, right, they've been able to deploy their solutions in the cloud, right? So for them, they're getting a SaaS model, but think about it this way. So they're collecting fees from their end users for an application that they're using in, in the cloud and or SaaS, and we will get a fee associated with that. So even though we're not directly in the cloud, we are enabling our ISVs to put their solutions in the cloud. And, and uh, how'd you brought that up? That's one of the pieces of the business that is growing you know, fairly, fairly healthy for us. Uh, so they are adopting, and they're successful, and therefore we're successful uh, in return. Okay, so what would be the key metrics then that you rely on to reveal how the uh, company's performing today? Yeah, so for us, right, I mean, it all, I look at it, it, it all starts with uh, 
bookings and retentions uh, for progress. You know, we've been around for over 30 years, right? So the fairly mature, not a lot of growth, uh, but bookings is, is a very uh, important indicator for us, right? It's a, it's a forward-looking metric for some of our uh, pieces of the business where the revenue is being recognized readily. And then we also look at it since, you know, we are uh, an established, mature company, what is our retention rate, right? So I would say those are probably the two uh, customer metrics that we we focus on is is bookings. And we have, you know, various tools to, to look at uh, both of those metrics and from the standpoint of uh, dashboards, uh, which you know, is available you know, on a daily basis. Uh, obviously, I'm not looking at it on a daily basis, but certainly there's uh, cadence around uh, weekly reviews, you know, in terms of pipeline and bookings. So. Now, we always like to ask for a uh, finance strategic moment, Paul, where uh, your lines of sight into the organization allowed you to have perhaps an aha moment or a finance strategic moment where you were able to identify either an opportunity or maybe a risk, whatever it may have been. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, sticking with the, uh, uh, you know, a, a couple of, of, of financial metrics, right? So for us, operating income margins are, are very important. Cash flow is uh, another uh, uh, very important measure, right? Uh, so I'd say, you know, cash flow is one of the areas that when I first uh, came in, because we were divesting a number of product lines, uh, you know, I was interested in, in looking at, you know, how our cash flow would be affected by those divestitures. So, you know, cash flow, you know, it's, it's the lifeblood of any business, right? But uh, uh, just looking at cash flow is, is not necessarily a meaningful metric, right? So we look at the health of what the, cash flow with what our business is, and you know, we, we track very closely our, our DSL. When I first came came on board in, uh, about, uh, in, in 2012, uh, you know, we looked at our, our DSL. Our DSL was up about uh, you know, 67 days at the time, uh, and, and DSL is not just a, it's not just a finance-only organization that can influence that metric, right? So sales, legal credit, invoicing, all of those disciplines can have an impact on uh, on DSL. So we looked at our know, complete order to cash process, implemented some changes to reduce, you know, the, the time to invoice. Uh, we reviewed and tightened up uh, a bunch of payment terms. Uh, we had some payment terms that were going out uh, 80, 80, 90 days, you know, brought those in, you know, considerably, uh, and uh, also just, you know, a, a higher awareness of, uh, you know, what contract terms will have on, on, uh, on DSL. So, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we, we saw considerable uh, improvement in DSLs. It was at 67 days in 2012. Uh, by uh, the end of the third quarter of this year, we saw really gradual improvement over the years. Uh, we ended up at about... Uh, uh, at about 48 days. So, you know, DSO, you know, reducing DSO is relatively straightforward, but it's a very good and effective way of, uh, 
of uh, strengthening cash flow, right? So um, I would say that's one of the, the areas that I looked at when I uh, when I first came came on board at Progress. Is there, I want to touch on the talent economy with you. What are the priorities uh, as, a, as a finance leader that you, you have? So we do have, you know, a broad mix of, of individuals on the, on the team. Uh, you know, we have folks that came out of uh, CPA firms, right? They're certified, so they have continuing professional education requirements. We also have, uh, we also have you know, folks that are uh, involved in planning and accounting. Uh, we try to do some of our internal, so some of the uh, folks that are CPAs provide like lunch, brown bag uh, lunches, but we encourage, you know, to all of our employees, everyone in finance, to take, uh, you know, continuing professional education courses outside of the company. We also like to do some cross-pollinization, so I'm a firm believer, since I'm a product of, of that, that you, know, you shouldn't just stay in accounting, you should go into planning. You know, if you can do a little treasury work, it's all good as well. If you want to do a stint in internal audits, I think it makes for a more rounded uh, finance individual. Okay. We're going to enter our mentoring round where I ask you uh, several quick questions intended to uh, inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about business and finance today? I would say that it's a great opportunity to, to learn the business, understand you know, the drivers of the business. I think in finance, you're in a unique position to view holistically how uh, the company operates. So I would say, again, you know, the, the broader you can go in terms of experiences inside of finance, I think the better, uh, more rounded individual you will be. What is that one piece of advice you wish someone had given you as you entered the CFO office for the first time? Yeah, Jack, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, be prepared for the unexpected. <laughs> uh, I think you know, the one thing that you know, I always look at is you, know, you plan for the things that you know, and you have to be in a position to react for uh, things that will come your way, right? Uh, so I think flexibility, uh, that goes without saying, and being able to adapt to uh, changing circumstances. But imagine today uh, an important part of your role is communicating to board members and, and I guess, participating in those types of meetings. What prepared you for, for, for that type of uh, engagement with, with board members and all the other stakeholders? Yeah, that, no, that's a, that's a good question. So I think, uh, for me, it was really the CAO role, right? So... Uh, CAO role, you're involved with uh, the audit committee. Some, and sometimes you're, you're involved with uh, compensation committee. So all of the audit committee members that I've been in, I was involved with, I participated, uh, active participant in uh, the committee meetings. So that gave me kind of a, uh, a view into you know, how boards 
work, right? So I think, you know, and, and that's one of the things, so just on, the, on that and on the mentoring, so I like to provide um, opportunities for my team to come in and actually present to the audit committee on certain topics, right? So when I was CAR, I would have someone come in and talk about, okay, we have new revenue recognition rules coming in. So let's, let's, uh, let's educate the committee on that topic. So that gives uh, you know, team members uh, a good insight into what happens in those committee meetings. And then you know, as they progress throughout the career, it's just a natural progression that, okay, this is how the committees work and here's how, uh, here's how the board uh, would work. Have you ever worked with uh, recruiters and were they useful to you? I have. Uh, I would say that uh, a couple of times, uh, you know, you get calls all the time. Uh, but I think what it really boils down to, especially in a community uh, like Boston, right, it's a pretty small knit community. And um, I think it's, it's all about the relationships that you develop on, on a personal level. But, yeah, they do open up your eyes to opportunities that you would not necessarily uh, uh, have a purview into. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Personal habit, uh, I guess, de determined. <laughs> determined and, yeah, competitive, right? I think you, you want to be in a position where um, you want to win. So it's not, not – but you also want to be – you also want to be part of a team. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with Paul's 12-month finance leader priorities right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Okay, so before we uh, ask you for your finance leader priorities, Paul, I wanted to um, take one last run uh, at that point in your career where you left behind uh, a long career as a chief accounting officer in a large multinational and jump into a CFO role of what will soon be, I, I imagine, a, a half a billion dollar uh, high tech firm. Tell us about these two worlds, though. They seem very different, I think, in a lot of people's minds they would be. But what would you share with us if you were to reflect on uh, the two worlds that you, you've resided in? Yeah, so maybe I'll answer it this way, Jack. I think it's a, it's a lot more uh, fulfilling uh, working in a, uh, in a smaller type company. I think you can influence the business 
much more so, you know, in, in a uh, in a smaller company than you could being the chief accounting officers of you know a multi-billion dollar company, right? At least from my perspective, that's the way I viewed it. Is, you know, I we had made a personal decision to come back to Boston. There's not that many large uh, headquartered uh, companies in Boston. It would be mostly small cap, mid cap companies. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to make the transition from multi-billion dollar company to a hundred million dollar, you know, a couple hundred, half a billion dollar companies, right? And uh, I would say it's it's been very rewarding seeing, uh, you know, the, the results of how you can influence the business and, and really make an impact. So you feel like you have greater influence. Are there certain skills that you've been challenged to use that perhaps in the chief accounting or a more larger corporate role you you uh, you weren't tested uh, perhaps before? Yeah, and I would say you know some of the areas that uh, you know, I hadn't didn't have uh, exposure to, such as you know some of the treasuries, some of the tax, uh, you know the um, investor relations piece. But I think what prepared me for that was. Know, my involvement in some of the planning roles and supporting some of those functions, like the investor relations, you know, preparing, you know, scripts and preparing, you know, Q&As and uh, just being uh, around when, uh, you know, the CFO is, is talking to investors. So, again, I would say, you know, diversity in, uh, in roles uh, really helps out. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Yeah, so looking and you know, we're, we're in the midst of our planning now. We have a couple big things that are, that are happening in, the, uh, in our industry, and uh, one is uh, revenue recognition, right, ASC 606, which will change the way that revenue is recognized for companies that use contracts. So that's clearly something that we've been that we've been working on. Uh, and that becomes effective for us, not this year, but our fiscal year twenty nineteen. So that's that's a biggie. Uh, so the team is, is focused on that. We need to get that right. And there's no delay. Uh, the second one is we're looking at uh, consolidating a lot of our financial systems. So in uh, twenty eighteen, our next fiscal year We'll be kicking off a project where we're putting in an ERP system so that all of our uh, businesses are on one platform. And then secondly, you know, I think investing in, uh, in, in employees and the team is uh, something that you, know, you, you need to do. Uh, so we look to ways to, you know, as I mentioned earlier, do cross-pollinization uh, inside the company that keeps them you know, obviously challenged, uh, and it provides opportunities inside the company as opposed to having having them look elsewhere. So I'd say, you know, making sure that our employees are engaged and that they see a path uh, to growth, either internally or, or externally, right? So a uh, company of this size, we need to prepare them for for their next role, and the reality is it may not be inside the company. Paul Jalbert, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.